0: Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again, and we need to be reminded of that. Well, this is week two of a three-week series on the return of Christ. This morning, we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 3, so I would encourage you to take your Bibles and to turn there. Uh, If you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 1019. 2 Peter chapter 3. Last week we looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We saw the the passage on the rapture of the church and his return, Christ's return for his people. This morning we're going to be looking at the coming day of the Lord, which is what Peter talks about here in chapter 3. So follow along with me in your Bibles, 2 Peter chapter 3, <coughs> Excuse me, beginning with verse 1. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of the water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. May God bless the reading of his word. This is now the second letter that the apostle Peter has written with the purpose of stirring up believers. And that word to stir up is a word that's used in the present tense. It's not something he just wants to see happen and then pass. It's something that he wants believers to be continually aware of. He wants them to be stirred up. He wants them to know That when we are looking for the return of Christ, it will affect the way that we live our lives. So Peter says to them, remember. There's some things that he wants them to remember. First of all, he says to us in verse 2, he says, Remember the predictions of the holy prophets. In that, he would be appealing to the prophets of the Old Testament. Do you know the prophets in the Old Testament referred to the return of Jesus? They talked about not only Jesus' first coming, but his second coming. Uh, One of those passages is in Zechariah chapter 12 in verse 10. There Zechariah writes, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, So that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. There is coming a day in which Israel will see their Messiah return and they will mourn for him. Remember, Peter says, predictions like this from the Old Testament that come from the prophets. He goes on and he also says in verse 2, remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior. Remember the command of the Lord. Remember what the Lord has said as well. You know, a passage of Scripture that we often use when we are doing a service, a celebration service, or we're doing a funeral service for someone, is John chapter 14 in verses 1 to 3. There Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, notice what he says next, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now it is true. The Scriptures teach that when we die, we go right into the presence of the Lord. Paul said absence from the body is to be present with the Lord. But as we saw last week in the passage, that when Jesus returns at the rapture, he's coming back for his church. When he returns, the dead in Christ will come with him. And some of you were a little confused last week or had questions. Well, if the dead in Christ are coming with him then why are the dead in Christ raised? Well, when we die, we go to be in the very presence of the Lord. Now, theologians debate, but it is commonly thought that we will be in some type of temporary body, some type of body that will get us from that point in time, if we die, until the resurrection at the rapture, when we are reunited with our earthly body. But the point here this morning is, Jesus said he was coming again. If I go away, I will come back. In Matthew chapter 24, in verses 42 to 44, Jesus said, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, He would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then, of course, we have in Acts chapter 1, we referenced this last week, when Jesus Went into heaven as the disciples saw him going up. The angels, we read, speak of the second coming of Christ. In Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. While they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus is coming again. The Lord commanded it. The Lord said that it would occur. And also it comes to us through the apostles' statements. He says you should remember the prediction of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Throughout the New Testament, there are all kinds of references to the return of Christ. James says in James 5, 7, be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. In Titus chapter 2, verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I could go on and on with all kinds of passages of Scripture from the Old Testament and the New Testament that refer to the return of Christ, but time forbids that this morning. But Peter is saying, I want you to be stirred up by remembering what the prophets say. By remembering the command of the Lord, and by remembering what the apostles, obeying the command of the Lord, are telling us, Jesus is coming again. He then says to us in verse 3, he says, knowing this first of all, there's something he wants us to know. And what he wants us to know is this, scoffers will come in the last days. Now first of all, we have to define this term, the last days. What does it mean? Last days is a theological term that refers to that whole period of time from Christ's first coming until his second coming. We are living in what's known as the last days. Scoffers are going to come, and they will scoff at the message that Jesus is returning. In spite of the fact that in the New Testament, there are over 300 references to the return of Christ. The scoffers will come. And what is a scoffer? A scoffer is someone who treats lightly that which ought to be taken seriously. You know, in Noah's days, there were scoffers. When Noah preached, a preacher of righteousness told them the flood was coming. They scoffed at him. They scoffed until they were climbing trees trying to get away from the the waters that were raising The people in Sodom and Gomorrah scoffed at the message that God would send judgment. But they quit scoffing when the judgment came. Scoffers will come, and these scoffers will question Christ's return. Look at it. Verse 4. Knowing this, verse 3. That first of all, the scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Why do they scoff? Because they want to live lives of sin. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? That's their question. You believe that Jesus is going to return? Well, look at how many years it has been, and it hasn't happened, so it's not going to happen. Peter goes on and says, forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Here we're going to see the scoffers' wrong reasoning. The reasoning of the scoffers is this. Since Jesus has not returned, he's not going to return. And everything has been the same since the beginning of time. This is a viewpoint that's called uniformitarianism. It means that everything is always the same and that there are no changes. So those who scoff at the return of Christ are scoffing, saying, where's the promise of him coming? He said he's coming. He hasn't come. He's not going to come. Because everything is the same. But in verses 4 to 7, Peter gives us the wrong reasoning. Look at verse 4. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately, please note that, they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. The first thing that they are willfully ignorant of is the fact that God is the God of creation. The scoffers reject God as being the creator. Now from this comes all the theories of evolution. From this comes all the thoughts about how man may have come into existence. They reject the clear-cut statement of the scriptures that in the beginning God created the heavens, and the earth. And we've talked about this before. Why is it they reject the creation account of the Bible? Because if God did not create us, then we are not responsible to him. If all of this is just by chance, and everything's just continued as it always has, with God not intervening, then we have no responsibility to the God. Of heaven, Peter says they're ignorant of this as it relates to creation. And he says in verse 6, And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. The second thing that they are willfully ignorant of is the worldwide flood in the time of Noah. They are willfully ignorant of the fact that not only God is the creator, but also of the fact that God once destroyed the world by water. See, that destroys this argument of uniformitarianism, that everything's always the same and there is no change. There are changes where God intervenes. And two of the most obvious are in the creation of the world and in the world wide thought. So Peter goes on and he says this, verse 7. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of of the ungodly just as there was a creation event just as there was a flood so there will be coming a day when this world will be destroyed by fire now if you believe nothing ever changes then you reject all of that and that's what the scoffers do and they say this promise was given to the fathers and these fathers have all perished, and Christ has never come back. In Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 13, after the writer of Hebrews has been talking about great men of faith, he says this, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. The fathers of old, which they would be referring to, the Jewish fathers, the men of faith in the Old Testament, they all died looking for Christ coming. And you know, since the early days of the church, we talked about this in the message to uh, the church at Thessalonica, they were expecting the Lord to return in their lifetime. And when some of them died... They were concerned, what happens to them? That's why Paul wrote what he did in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And then for us today, if you remember last week, we gave a very vivid visual illustration of how many of us have lost loved ones that have gone on to be with the Lord. They We're hoping for the return of Christ. I can tell you, as I stand before you this morning, I hope the Lord returns before I have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Don't you? If you know Jesus, wouldn't that be the way to go? Wouldn't it be wonderful if right now, before I finish this sentence, suddenly the trumpet sounds, we hear a voice come up here, and we all went up to meet the Lord in the air. That would be a wonderful time and a wonderful thing. But if that doesn't occur in our lifetimes, Jesus is still coming back. God's timing is his timing. And we'll see in a moment why it is he hasn't come back yet. But I hope you see the scoffer's wrong reasoning. The next thing Peter wants us to know are some facts. Verse 8. God works outside of time. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. God is outside of time. Now I know some have, have taken this verse to say that the days of creation in Genesis are thousands of years in length. That's not what this verse is talking about at all. This verse is telling us that God is outside the realm of time. So that a day in God's economy is the same as a thousand years. He's not not constricted to time. And when we think, okay, what's it been since Christ was here? We look back and say, well, that's over a 1,000 years. That's over 2,000 years since Christ was here on the earth, and he hasn't come back yet to God. That's just like two days, two hours, two minutes. God operates outside the realm of time. And friends, there's a practical lesson for us here too. When we pray... We want things immediately, right? And God answers in his timing. God is not in a rush. We'll talk more about us in just a second. God works outside of time. In verse 9, we see the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. The Lord fulfills his promises. Every promise God makes, he will keep. He has demonstrated that in the past by things that are said in the word of God that have been fulfilled. And the promises that he makes, he always keeps. He cannot deny himself. He is faithful. God is not peter said slow to fulfill his promises but is patient toward you god is patient we are not let's be honest about it especially as americans we are not patient at all. What happens when you're in the airport and your airplane, your flight gets canceled or delayed? How do you respond to that? What, what happens when this morning you go to the restaurant and they tell you, we'll have your table in five minutes and you're sitting there 15 minutes later and you don't have your table? We live in a time in which we can travel faster than anyone in the history of the world. We live in a time in which we can gather information in just a moment. You get on the internet and what's available to you? All kinds of information. But God help us if the connection's slow, right? I was recently reading a book, and it it advised this. They say, pastors, when you're doing marriage counseling, put the couple in your office, each on a computer, ask them to research something, and give them a slow internet connection. And see how they interact with one another in light of that. Now, I know there are a few of you here that says, Internet, what are you talking about, Butch? <laughs> How do you get on that? How do you access that? The reality is, you know, you, can, you can go home today and you can pop your food into the microwave and hit a minute, 30 seconds, and your meal is ready. Everything is quick for us, and we are not patient at all. And I confess to you this morning, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Uh, Last night, Barb and I were headed someplace. She was driving. (laughs) And we were going to be late for where we were going through, no fault of anyone at all. But I'm sitting there in the passenger seat thinking, come on, go on, go on. Yeah, Uh, You could have made it through that light. It was still yellow at that point in time. (laughs) That's kind of a clue into how I drive, folks. I can remember not too long ago, my grandson was sitting in the back of the car, and I was driving, and I went through a yellow light, and his response was he didn't say a word, didn't even look up, Well, he did say a word. He just said, that sure looked red to me. (laughs) (laughs) And... We are not patient. God is patient. God is not in a hurry. Peter goes on to tell us one of the reasons he's not in a hurry is God doesn't wish any to perish. Okay, in verse 9. And the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Why is God waiting to come back? Because the body of Christ is not complete yet. Jesus will return when the body of Christ is complete But God is patient, and his desire, hear me this morning, if you are here and you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, God takes no joy in the perishing of the wicked. His desire for you is to repent from your sins and be saved. That's why Jesus hasn't returned yet. Because of the patience of God, wanting to see more people put their faith and trust in Him and bringing them into His body. Peter goes on and he says in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Or another word for that word exposed is to be translated burned up. The day Of the Lord. So, this message is about the coming day of the Lord. So, once again, we come to a theological term, the day of the Lord. Dwight Pentecost has defined the day of the Lord this way The day of the Lord is that extended period of time beginning with God's dealing with Israel after the rapture at the beginning of the tribulation period. And extending through the second advent, or second coming, and millennial age, unto the creation of the new heavens and the new earth after the millennium. Now I'm going to unfold that for you in just a moment, that definition and what we're talking about when we say the day of the Lord. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, unexpected. You won't be looking for it. Jesus is going to return. We talked about the rapture last week. He's going to return, and he's coming as a thief. And the idea of a thief is it's unexpected. Thief doesn't call you up and say, I'll be over at 5 to steal from you. (laughs) You know, recently we had someone in our body whose house was broken up, broken into. The thief didn't call and say, hey, uh, just to make make you aware, tonight I'm going to be over, and I'm going to take from you. No, that's not how a thief comes. When does he come? Unexpected. When you're unaware. And the Lord, or Peter says here, that at the end of the day of the Lord, this earth is going to be destroyed, it's going to be destroyed by fire, and then there will be a new heavens and earth. Just to kind of give you a quick overview, I put together a chart here this morning. Now, this is not to scale, but it'll just talk about these events known as the Day of the Lord and what Peter is talking about. Right now, we are living in what is known as the church age or the age of grace, where Christ is bringing his body to himself. We that believe in Jesus are part of the bride of Christ. This is the church age. At any moment, at any time. Now, as I share this with you, let me put this out here as a disclaimer. There are some good theologians who disagree with the timetable that I'm going to lay out here. I am sharing with you what I believe the scriptures teach. And what I believe your conclusion will be if you take a consistent, literal interpretation of prophetic passages. So, we live in the church age. Secondly, Jesus is going to come in the rapture. We talked about that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. At any moment, at any time, we'll be caught up together, believers, with him in the air. This is what I believe that Peter is talking about when he says the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, unaware, at any moment, at any time. Next, according to Daniel chapter 9, there will be a peace treaty that is signed that will begin a period known, a seven-year period known as the tribulation period. Now I'm just going to put in a little advertisement here, uh, starting on September 13th, on Wednesday night, if you want more information about this, I'm going to be teaching through the book of Daniel, verse by verse, on Wednesday night, starting September the 13th. And you can sign up for that study, just call the office so that we're aware of how many are coming. At the midpoint of those seven years will be what's referred to as the abomination of desolation. That's when the Antichrist will go into the temple in Jerusalem. And you say, into what temple? There's no temple there. There will be. There will be. And the Antichrist will go there, and he will declare himself as one who is to be worshipped. At the end of seven years, we have the return of Christ to the earth. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7, Revelation chapter 19 talks about Christ's return to the earth when he comes and we come back with him with the armies of heaven and he will set up his kingdom and that is fa- the, this return of Christ is followed by the millennium, a literal thousand year reign of Christ according to Revelation chapter 20. At the end of those thousand years, there will be a rebellion, a final rebellion by Satan. For those thousand years, he will be bound in a pit. At the end of a thousand years, he will be released and lead one last rebellion against God. And then Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire at the end of that final rebellion. This earth will be destroyed by fire. And we will enter into what theologians call the eternal state where we will ever be with the Lord. But that whole period of time, beginning with the start of the tribulation period, to the destruction of this world by fire and a new heavens and a new earth being created, that whole time is known as the day of the Lord. So the question is, so what? So what? Well, Peter makes this very practical. Look at it in verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what is he talking about all these things? Everything in this world is going to be dissolved. Now, we know that when we die, we can't take things of this world with us, but not only can we not take them with us, they are going to be dissolved, destroyed. By fire, He asks, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? So what should be our response? We should live a holy and godly life. We should order our lives around those things that are important. Is money going to last? No. Are possessions going to last? No. Is worldly fame here going to last? There is nothing of this world and this world system that is not going to be destroyed So we need to be living holy and godly lives. I was thinking uh, earlier this morning about one of the first sermons I ever preached. And I remembered something from that sermon. Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. The thought that Jesus is coming back again should cause us to look at how we are living and cause us to look at our priorities and to make our priorities that which would cause us to live holy and godly lives. There's another response. And that is we should wait for the day of God. Wait for the day of God. Look at it there in verse 12. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Now, commentators argue a lot about what's that mean, hastening the coming of the day of God. How can we hurry up The day of God. And we all know from a heavenly perspective, God has His timetable. He is sovereign and He is acting according to His timetable. From our perspective, what's keeping the Lord from coming back? It's from a human perspective. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to a point of repentance. So we should be waiting for this day, and that should motivate us to share the gospel with others. The only hope of salvation is in Christ. So let me ask you this morning, first of all, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Are you a part of the bride of Christ? Have you put your faith and trust in him if not why not why not don't join the scoffers who are willfully ignorant don't be a scoffer but be a believer in jesus let's pray father thank you for your word we thank you for the truth that our savior is coming back again And Father, we pray that you would help us that we might live those godly and holy lives. And we pray that everyone present here this morning would put their faith and trust in Jesus. For this we pray in his name. Amen.